0: We're back in the Gospels. Are you excited. We're back in the Gospel again. John. Let's take a look at our text today, and we're going to look at one of um, about Christ being a little bit of a troublemaker. Christ is a, Christ loves disruption. Have you heard that? That's kind of a popular thing here in in, in San Francisco in uh, Silicon Valley. Have you heard about this? These uh, I was surprised the first time I heard it, uh, but it, 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 there's a value attached to disrupting to disrupting a field. Uber, for example, was a tremendous disruption of the taxi business, you know, and and with a badge of honor, a number of Silicon Valley uh, entrepreneurs have set out with the actual goal of what? Disrupting. Disrupting a whole area of business or something like that and using technology to do so. Uh, it, it, it almost sounds like you're making an excuse to be a, a pain in the neck, doesn't it? It almost sounds like you're trying to set up a plausible. Anyway, but Jesus seems to do this, and, 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 he, and, he, and he hits a sensitive spot. And I'm gonna, I want to talk about that sensitive spot before we read it, and then we'll read it, and we'll see if see what we can get out of it. But he disrupts, and in every gospel, he does this. Every one of the, the synoptics—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—and he gets in trouble for it. He finds. People, cripples by pools, men on mats, and on a Sunday it seems almost with a sense of relish. No, I don't think relish. I don't really think that. I think he sees Sundays as his. You know, his Sunday's his day. It's his day that he's lord of. That he gave us in love. Ah, so for him, I think there was a almost like a an extra motive. In the Sabbath idea, in this idea of the Sunday rest, where he would love to do what? to Think about the rest it is for a man to be healed, right? The rest in healing, the rest in his love. So Christ does this, but what happens? Because he does these good deeds on the Sabbath. Do you know what happens? It becomes the motive. It becomes the, it becomes one of the triggers to kill him. Sabbath. Keeping, becomes one of the one of the ways they, they, they seek out how they can get it because he has insulted them. Thirty-nine different rules they have, thirty-nine different rules they have about how to keep a Sabbath, how to not how to keep a Sabbath. They, they were in earnest. It's one of the ten commandments. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, the Lord your God. Only you shall do no work. Neither you nor your servant, nor your maidservant, nor your manservant. Nor your cattle, nor your oxen, nor your stranger who is visiting with you. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that in them and on the seventh day he rested. Wherefore he hallowed the Sabbath day, and called it holy. Hmm. That's Exodus 20. Uh, there, in Deuteronomy, it a little reads a little bit different. Uh, different reasons given for why God is instituting a moral imperative about Sabbath rest. And that is, uh, he says, for I rescued you out of Egypt. Just keep my rest. All right, 39 rules about the halakha and the Torah. You can't start fire, you can't carry something, you can't start a car, you can't get in a car. We'll look at some of that. They still keep those to this day. <sighs> but that's not where it ends. God just didn't make oh just did not just simply make a weekly cycle, did he? No, 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 not at all. The weekly cycle was meant to Thank you, gentlemen. Wow. All right, I need to unlock it, I guess. It's locked, isn't it? That's what you call disruption. I have successfully disrupted myself. Sorry. Well, it's just been one of those weeks. Alright, so thank you. Thank you guys. Sorry about that. Um those new casters are really good, aren't they, <laughs> They really they really work. <laughs> Every seven days there's a cycle set from creation. If you read Genesis 1, it will pattern out a seven-day pattern for the creation of the universe and all that is in it. I don't take those to be 24-hour days. I don't think that's necessary in the text. And it's not necessary in Hebrew. But every seven days becomes a pattern. But God is not satisfied with that. No, no, no. Because he hasn't made his point in a weekly schedule. He says, no, I'm going to put you on a seven-year schedule. In fact, I want you to take this seven-day concept that there's a day I give you peace and rest, and I want you to invest it in a, in, in a, macro, in a macro schedule every seven years. Let the land lie fallow. Don't work the fields. Rest. Oh, but I'm not satisfied with that, says the Lord. I want an even bigger, an even bigger schedule. I am going to pick something called a jubilee. And every seven years times seven, we're going to free every single slave. We're going to cancel every mortgage. We're going to restore every bit of property. We're going to put all the families back together. We're going to cancel every debt in the whole nation. It's a Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine such an idea? And this cycle, seven days, every seven years, and every 50, every seven times seven, every 49th year, I guess. Would be a celebration of rest. They never did these. People of God never did these. Never did the years. They never did jubilee. They only did this. And they did it like they were devils. And we'll look at that. Let's read the text. So Christ disrupts. You'll hear it. They get very angry. This uh this signals a tipping point in John where the intentions of the Jewish people and the Jewish authorities to kill Jesus becomes uh, stated explicitly. Let's look here. In Anastis, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jesus is a churchman. He always goes to all the events. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic, It's called Bethesda which has five-roofed colonnades, like five pillars. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who's there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, how did he know? I don't think it's pressing. It's, I think he knows because you would have seen this guy repeatedly, right? You it would be well known. Uh, well-known in the in of the area. When Jesus saw him lying there, I knew he'd already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk my mom for her tongue is going to take her four weeks of rehab to learn how to swallow four weeks of rehab to learn how to swallow do you see what the miracle is here it's not just healing what is it complete recuperation complete renovation complete uh, like he went went to an occupational therapist (laughs) he's lifting and carrying and walking the miracle is astounding, right? And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And by the way, even the Sabbath, it would be Saturday in the Jewish tradition. And, uh, and, and uh, so the, G- the Jews said to the man who had been healed, because they saw him, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, Jesus knew he was invalid, What would everybody do? The people who worked there, lived there, worked in the temple, knew it. They knew. What did they know about this guy? He was an invalid. And I know exactly what they would have thought because I would have thought it. Man, that faker finally got exposed. Look at him. I knew he was okay. I'm telling you, that's what I would have thought. First thing I would have thought, that lazy bum finally got up, right? Wouldn't you? Oh, come on. Did you know the son of God was walking around Palestine at that time? Would you have known or so? No. They don't even see the miracle. What do they see? You're carrying something on a Sabbath. That's all they see. (laughs) All right, so I just keep going here. But he answered them, the man who healed me. And that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to him, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was no crowd in the place. And let me add something here. Do you get this? Jesus, it's almost like he knows. This is provocative. He knows he's provoking these men. He knows he's aware of this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. And he said to him, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What's the worst that would happen? Hell, judgment, judgment, right? He's mourning. You know, there's something far worse than being paralyzed for 38 years. It's going straight to hell. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working to now, and I am working. This is why. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let me pray, Father. I come to you as a as a as a, as a man. Um, I don't know how to preach, Father, when I when my heart is um, this this um, this hurting, but. I turn to you, Holy Spirit, and ask for you to be the one who speaks. And I pray that you would speak to my people words about Jesus. Lord, if I pray that you speak it to me too. I need my own medicine so much. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God disrupts theism. I hope you like that one. That's my little, that's my little, uh, you know. God disrupts theism. Does everybody know what theism is? Believing in God. <laughs> God disrupts theism. He disrupts theism. What do you mean? Why, why do you think, why do you think they they are upset at Jesus? Like he tells us, but, but let's, let's pull at that a little bit. Let's pull at the reasons that animate our hearts why we do things. Like, why would why would they why are they so angry he's calling himself God? There's theological reasons. Like, you know, but get at it. What what does every man hear in one sense? better than me. And let me tell you something. You know people that always becomes the real issue. What? You better than me? Because that's the plane. He's better than they are. They know what that means. They understand what the conflicts is. They get it. But what? You better than me? And I hear and here, and I hear it, I hear it, is they don't know God. They don't know what God's capable of. They don't know that the God who made the cosmos, who is greater than space and time, would say, I will be like the people who hate me, and I will die amongst them. They don't have any category for a God who comes like this, who comes in love, who comes to heal, who comes to cash in the, You know, they're not prepared. They're not prepared. He destroys their empty theism. And let me tell you, we have to come to San Francisco not, and in our generation not to defeat atheism. We have to defeat the theism of this day because the theism of our age is corrupt. It has reduced God. It has robbed him of power, dignity, holiness, and... And then the ability to be angry or offended. It, it, it is emptied and new to you to the gospel. And again and again, we have to realize we are not trying to bring San Francisco to theism. No. A thousand times, no. We are trying to bring San Francisco to Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus is the God, is God. He is the son. And, and there's a, something happening here. The way he disrupts. They're thinking, you're a slept just like us, Jesus. And Jesus is, is obviously saying, no. I am not, I am not at all. There's something here that that we need to be disrupting. And I want to see the way that Christ seems to demolish spiritual expectations and ignore them. Jesus is God. I guess you could put, you could sum up this first point and we all need to repent of it. Remember the practice of wonder I was telling you about? What is, why the practice of wonder? Because a small God is not God. And, and all the ways we've reduced him or boxed him or think we understood him or limited him or, or would say we have known this and that really? really? I, I know my God his name is Jesus I often think that, that, that this idea of the divinity of Christ is really sits at the very, very heart of every, every problem we really have people don't people suspect I have a problem with resurrection or I have a problem with somebody rising from the dead or I have a problem with these miracles no you don't No you don't, because rationally rationally, Every one of us understands As a logical sequitur, if a god is in this world He can do those things It all goes back to who is he really Who is he really, and it's the greatest question You will ever have to answer, and you must answer it And I'm going to tell you, I want you to answer it today Who is he? Is he your god, because he's the god of this universe Is he your god? Because he has come to demolish Whatever theism you're holding on to With a god that's not him We should, we should praise him. He disrupts theism. You know why? Because he releases us from the prison of superstition. What am I talking about? Superstition. Step on a crack. And you break your mother's back. This is a common saying you're kid in America. Do you like know that does to a little kid, don't you? I remember whole years, or a couple years of my life where I was really careful not stepping on cracks. What was I beholden to? What have I gotten captivated by? Superstition. Well, I'm glad we're in Silicon Valley and there's no superstitious people around here. <clears throat> I, I have some more superstition in the Silicon Valley than I ever saw in the South. People are just weird about timing, about places they go, about what they wear, because they had a successful thing when they did it this way, they want to do it this way again. It's superstitions. Are, but... Okay, we can say, I don't believe in superstitions like a stirred water. I don't believe in superstitions like going down into a pool to be healed. Really? Here's a superstition for you. If you speak love into the universe, it will come back to you. If you speak love into the universe, it will return to you. What is that? Superstition. It's superstition mumbo jumbo. Hello? 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 Can you tell me I'm okay? We talk to the wood. That's all we're doing. This is the universe, isn't it? Is this going to make me feel better about myself? No, it isn't. The universe is used For all meaningful conversations. And a prison of false hopes and fears lies inside superstition. The superstition controls vast masses of humanity who are living in fear that if they do the wrong thing, or they pray to the wrong god, or they step in the wrong place, or they that they're dead, or ruin of ruins coming, and disaster. We need to be free of superstition. Now, I, it's funny. I was thinking about this. Um, let's see if we can get there. Maybe we can. Maybe I'll take it from a different path. Because you are superstitious, trust me, we all are. But, um, I'm using superstition as a form of like, almost like soft idolatry. It's not like a hard idolatry where I know I really want this, but it's like a soft idolatry. So, what I mean is, kind of, I kind of excuse certain attitudes and certain ideas I have, but they're really idolatrous ideas, but we kind of excuse them because they're kind of harmless. Or, or maybe they're harmless, but what? All right, so let's ask it this way What pool are you sitting by hoping someday? You'll get what you want. Is it a romance novel? Is it a lottery ticket? Is it, is it the career trajectory of getting the VC you wanted? Is it the website that finally takes off? I don't know. You know, like, Or is it the one love you've always searched for? Or we all, God, golly, that guy's sitting there. I think about it. How many of us are just right on the edge of hoping that maybe some artist will discover me or sponsor me. Or maybe somebody, and I, who knows what it is, right? We all have these hopes that we're sitting by, waiting. And we, and we play this blame game. You know, like, well, it's someone else's fault. I can't get in there. You know, all these different weird ways we set ourselves up for success. as the way other people we've heard of get success. And it's all a trap. It's a honey trap. And the self-help section of your local bookstore, or if you want to click on Amazon because you don't go to bookstores anymore, and if you go to the self-help section, You'll, if you pay attention, if you look carefully, you'll see five pillars and a bunch of invalids waiting to get healed out of magic water. There is no magic water, guys. There are no superstitions that are greater than Christ. Be free. and set everybody else free around you. Crash into superstition. I mean crash into it head on <laughs> because it has nothing against you. It has no power over you we can be radically free. But I'm still not done here. Um, Maybe you're OCD and you don't step on cracks. I get that. But God disrupts religion. See, that's, that, that's what's really amazing here. Religion being all the schemes, all the plans that you would construct at to make sure you were okay and you could get to a blessed place. And religion being a way, how are we going to, we know there's bad stuff from underwater, how can we develop some strategies to change behaviors, to change all this bad stuff, and to get us to a better place? Isn't that essentially all religion is? But that man made religion that I just described is, is all how we will do it, right? How we're going to build our way to God. We're going to build a a vast, uh, maybe a a, a pyramid or a a ziggurat or a... We're going to build our way up, right? And Christ is here to disrupt religion. You see, I would call the 39 walls about the Sabbath, the 39 ironies. Why? Just think about this. There's an impulse in the human heart. To make yourself good in front of God. To prove a point you're not as bad as he says you are. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years. You still have not There's still some part of you that wants to go, I do good things. I'm a good person. Because we, we're constantly being sucked into the 39 ironies. What do I mean by this? You shall rest. Okay, okay. All right by the way, somebody actually was stoned to death for gathering sticks. This serious command. You shall rest. Let's turn that in to a new slavery. You catch the irony here? Let's turn the command to rest. <laughs> Keep fully at rest. What is rest a promise of? Rest from our works. Rest in Jesus. Rest from having to earn our salvation. Rest in our Savior. Perfect. Sweet. Blessed, constant, eternal rest. I know I have nothing and can do nothing and shall never need to do anything to earn my favor before the Lord Almighty. Praise Him. <laughs> mm. There's an impulse in the flesh which will build a religion of 39 rules for how to rest and exhaust you in your rest. <laughs> hey, make, I'm going to make the rest a prison. You see, this is what, and this is why God, when he took the seven days, the seven years, I wish I hadn't erased them, and the 50 years, they 70 times did not obey this. 70 times the people of God rejected it. 70 times they did not do the years. 70 times, plus the jubilees. 70 times. And God said, I'm going to judge you for it then. But do you catch the irony here? What's he judging them for? They refuse to live in his rest and give his rest to others and be satisfied in it. What are they? What were the? What were those ancient people doing as they filled a religion up with multiple rules about the Sabbath? They were building a religion that would drown out the cry of freedom from freedom from captivity for us. Rest. You see, right right there, in this way, it always works like this. The human impulse is to reject the God of grace, to reject the God of love, to reject the totality of the cross, to reject all the righteousness of Christ, to reject his obedience, and establish my own. I'm... And, uh... See, do you see the irony in making all those rules about resting now? They missed the whole point! And they created a religion that created death. And kills Jesus when Jesus is what? The Lord of the Sabbath. He is the bringer of rest. <sighs> and so what I want to do is today, this story is inviting us to protect ourselves from our legalistic impulses. And instead preach freedom to us from our legalistic impulses. And in fact, these humans of the Sabbath were meant to communicate to you again, don't be a prisoner again to the rules you like to make up about Christianity. What are some of the famous rules outside of our scripture, outside of our Bible, if it's Revelation, what are some of the famous standards by which you know somebody's a Christian? They don't drink. And they don't chew. And they don't go with the girls that do. Right? But you get it. And, it's, and, and this idea that that is what and What you do is, all right, and, and I get why we do it. God gave us a perfect law. Love your neighbor. Jack, you have no choice. You must love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Like yourself. How are you going to keep that? It's hard to know. It's hard to know if Jack really loves me or not, right? We can't measure it or anything. How are we going to do this? Well, let's do this. We can find out if somebody's holy if we do very external rules, Right? then we'll be able to track it. We'll be able to see whether somebody's good or not. Better than that, I can't show anybody my love for Jack, but I can show people my obedience. If it's outward and verbal like this, I can show my obedience. And when I show my obedience, what am I doing? You know, bragging and living on it and building on it and appearing holy when I'm not. Now, God just look for you, just religion will send you straight to hell. Every religion created by man in this history and in the story of man are about our achieving our, our, our goal to get to him. And the story of Christ is: no, I will achieve my goal by coming to you, by rescuing you, and I will give you rest. So look, I know how hard it is to find this sometimes. I spent this whole week, you know, Tao was praying over me last night. I, I get so scared. Don't you get scared? Anxious. Fear. Alarms are going off. What's going to happen? You know, I don't. Am I going to die? Am I going to be hurt? Are people I love going to die? What's going to... You know, we have these panics, and we're trying to get control of our lives. Sometimes I will, I will, like, carefully think about my sermon for Sunday, and I'll wonder if I can have any blessing for you if my heart is not right for God, with God. What, what do you hear me doing when I do that? What am I doing still? I'm living as if his love for me was conditional on my behaviors. And it never was. And and I'm living like I have to earn something for your behalf or some other status or some other success I want or some prize I'm seeking or some, some tool. I want to crawl into. You get it? Like some pool I want to get into. It's going to warm me up. It's going to keep me warm. And everything's going to be okay. Maybe if this church was 5,000 people, my, that pool would just be nice and warm now. It'd be like a hot tub, wouldn't it? I could sit in it all day. Do you hear it? you hear the hearts cry for some other healing than the total healing of Jesus? But as we go with this, I... What is the the law now? Believe and rest on Jesus alone as he's offered to you by God. So, let's get in here. The 39 ironies. If you can do one thing for your salvation, you're not going to heaven. Let me repeat that. If you you could do one thing for your salvation, you don't possess it any longer. That's the way it is. A famous missionary Patton, the P-A-T-O-N, the South Seas. Do you know all of our translation work and knowledge of ancient languages and languages that have been disappeared? It's because of missionaries' translations. He could not find a translation for this one Pacific island for grace. Your, he couldn't find a translation of the language for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. you ever heard that? Grace, the free love of God. He couldn't find it. Everything it came to entail. Been living months for years, couldn't do it. And one day, he went on a hunt. It was a big thing, though. white of passage. old the men would want to hunt. And after they hunted, after they killed the wild boar, they went back and he heard the news—a new word. It was time to put up your feet and be at ease with provision. And it was one word. He heard the music. As they were enjoying and luxuriating luxuriating in their hunt. Because he finally found the word for grace. Your work is done. (sighs) Going back to that, you know, you don't drink, and you don't chew. I just picture a corona in my hand. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's grace. Do you get the picture now? What are we being invited to? And do you see all of the irony of making all the rules about it? You're being invited to rest. So let me make sure your rest is really miserable. Well, you know, this is why Christ says things like you make, you, you make converts and they make them twice as the son of hell as you are. Because you're dooming people. You are, t- you're dangling rest in front of them like a trinket. And as they reach for it, what are you doing? I has rest for you. Oh, you haven't gotten it? Yet. <laughs> no, no, you live in the fire. My mom said she remembered walking down the street in Philadelphia on a Saturday and a, the Jewish mother would be like, hey, hey, kid, can you be here, please? I need you to come and light my fire for me on the stove. So the Jewish families would ask the kids to light their fires because you can't light a fire on the Sabbath. It's one of the rules. i want to be free, don't you? Uh, if you can do one thing. So uh, you can't put the most frequent, what is the most frequent command in Scripture? And I've told you this before, but I want to heal it again. And my mom quoted it back to me. I'm telling you about my mom because my mom was telling me stories all week. And you're going to hear them too. And, that's, what, and you know what my mom's favorite book is? And I remember, because my mom and dad actually read it to each other. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. My mom and dad read that to each other. Does that give you an in, a, a, a insight into why, why I am like I am? And, uh, so in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy's reference to a book. And that book is a guide for how to survive the intergalactic world that he's painting. And it's, a, it's an encyclopedia, and everybody's got it. You can't get across the universe without your Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, and it's that whole premise of the book. And he's actually Arthur Dent. Is he the one? I mean, he's the human, isn't he? But his friend, Dave, uh, Zep- Zep- Babel Rocks and all his name. It's a great book. I love it. But do you know how you can, you can identify the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy? They made sure everybody could recognize it whenever they found it. Because right on the cover are two words. Don't pack. My mom told me that. She's like, I feel like that's what God's saying to me right now because I'm freaking out right what's God saying to us don't panic. and we were joking around I said wouldn't it be great if somebody made bible covers that said that because you know what do not be afraid is the most common command in the bible it's the most frequent command given to us and you know who always says it God and what is he really saying don't panic, you know. go. <laughs> Chris, don't panic I know you're scared stop, stop, so Don't panic I have given you rest hey Guys, we need to double down You never have to earn his love Ever Double down And you know what happens then? <laughs> you, you begin to repent <laughs> right, Listen to this Jesus heals the guy first And what does he see when he sees him? No more, unless something bad. So, what's the message here? There is a holiness we're invited into, but what is what creates the holiness? What creates holiness and new repentance in our lives? What creates new obedience about our sexuality? New obedience about our money? New obedience about how we love? Why? It's all that grace you got. (laughs) You see, it's all that love coming to you here. It's all this wonderful disruption that Christ has brought. He is disrupting the pattern of sin and destruction that Satan has brought more, more, more and you have done and, and this culture has done. He's here, he is here to disrupt this city, to disrupt its legalism, to disrupt this generation. And I just want to be a part of it, don't you? I want to be a part of the great disruption where the gospel crashes into Silicon Valley so hard. It tumbles. (laughs) What a great time. What a great thing to ask a loving Savior. Um, (laughs) Repent, I guess I could say. And end with this. Repent. You think about the little billboard. Imagine we have billboards, the sandwich signs. Instead of saying the end is near. Instead of saying you're all going to hell. Instead of saying, what what if we had a completely different way of doing it? We're like, um... You know, what, if, what if we did it differently where it's like it's a really positive message and then repent. Jesus loves you so much. Repent. <laughs> like, he's, like that's a completely different. But that's essentially the gospel, isn't it? He has loved us abundantly, fully, freely. He is my, my savior, my helper, my friend, my lover. Oh, what a friend in weakness. And uh, Jesus, what a friend in weakness. And so, uh, God disrupts no. I hope I pray God is disrupting you today. And hey, do you feel a little disrupted? I hope so. Would it be fun if the Holy Spirit were to so disrupt your life <laughs> that you were totally free and at rest in all of life? Wow, that'd be fabulous Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to, to make the gospel that real here. In and through us, amen. Let's pray. <laughs> It's super good. You know, honestly, Father, we couldn't have complained if you sent us to work for 40 years for our salvation in a, in a salt mine. It would still be a grace. It would still be mercy. It would still be more graciousness than we deserved. But you didn't even require that. You didn't even require... It's amazing. You know, love so well. I pray for your love and your grace and your rest to come so powerfully in our lives that... All of us are crying out with knowledge. I pray that Tom would know you, Grace. We all would know you together. But I tell you what, Father, I want more. I want more of your grace in my life. I want more of it for my people. I want more. I want us to be freed by grace. Freed by grace into repentance, <laughs> holiness, and honoring you. And disrupt this generation. Come on, Father. It says, you know what, this generation says it disrupts. Well, why don't you teach it a thing or two then? Because you know about disruption. And disrupt, what, what we are asking you, disrupt you. Disrupt our superstitious hearts. And disrupt religion. For the glory of Christ we pray, amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it. Saying, this is my body which is for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Now, I'm not going to cheat here. I'm not supposed to do this, but it's, this isn't magic. Just how All right, Bear with me here. Yeah, I just earned my salvation. It was just by faith. You get, that doesn't make any sense. You get how much grace is being preached to us there? There was nothing. Like it doesn't make any sense. But it's that free. It's that easy. It's that restful. Isn't that beautiful? It's meant to be that. Stop earning for working for wages, people. Live in the freedom of the gospel. So, I invite you, if you're a sinner who's not earning their salvation, if you're a and you know you can't pull yourself out, if you know you're broken and you can't fix yourself, and you're turning to Jesus, then this is your table. Put your trust in God today. Again, today, yes. Put your, all your trust in him and enter into his rest. Taste his rest. He's so kind to us. I mean, he makes it tactile and something we can taste, just because we're so slow, slow at getting the point sometimes. It makes it very practical and accessible to us. Enter my rest. Be at peace in my rest. Stop being afraid. All right. Uh, If you don't know God, though, or if you think you're a good person, can you see the tragedy here now? Do You know why I have to say that every week? If you think you're a good person and you come to the table, what have you done here? You've thrown away his rest. And that means you really are a Sabbath breaker. And what happened to the Sabbath breakers in the Old Testament? They were stoned. Because they rejected Christ's rest when they rejected the Sabbath. Don't you do the same thing. (laughs) Don't you do the same thing. If you think you're a good person, you are not entering his rest. And you cannot come to the table. And if you're a skeptic today, and I'm praying that your skepticism is wearing thin and will soon be given up for the false idea that it is. All right, let's stand. All right. And uh, Christian brother and sister. uh, Oh, look, i got a little fish coming. Um, What do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church,